Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Here, the communist regime of Kim Jong-un, as I refer to him, of North Korea, most recently test-fired a ballistic missile. Now, the missiles that have been being fired have been being qualified as being this kind of a missile and that kind and always describing them in a very inferior way. Interestingly enough, this one has now been described as being an actual, factual ICBM or intercontinental ballistic missile. Now, the immediate response was that the missile hadn't gone that far. It had only traveled 580 miles. Well, there has been some rethinking, recalculating of that. Because now it has been determined that this missile, while it only landed 580 miles from where it was fired, that it actually flew more than 1,740 vertical miles above the Earth's surface. And then came down, re-entered, and landed in 580 miles distant from where it was fired. So, if it had been fired in a more typical or traditional trajectory, it could easily have traveled more than 4,000 miles and could have hit any portion of Alaska, United States. So this is a big development. Big development. Now our president, not to fault the man, but as recently as January, when he was just coming into office, he had stated that North Korea would not be able to launch an intercontinental ballistic missile, so on and so forth. And he was undoubtedly basing that on the best, the latest information that he had. And, of course, he had been being briefed for months prior to taking office, been receiving security briefings, top level. So what has been going on with regard to dear old North Korea? Now, they happened to do this at this particular time. What timing were they looking at? Was it really pertaining to uh, events going on in the United States? Possibly, but more likely, it was timed with regard to the upcoming G20 summit in Germany. This extremely high-level get-together, powwow 
of these major nations. Now, this is today is July 4th, Independence Day. Don't know what day you're going to be hearing this. It will probably be a little bit hence. But unless you're listening to it on the from the station, from the uh, the website as compared to from a terrestrial radio station. But the United States of America, under the direction of now President Donald Trump, his administration has been engaged in various activities designed supposedly to discourage this North Korean regime, this rogue regime, from misbehaving. And there have been a number of changes in terms of ideas with regard to how to deal with North Korea. And the statements have conflicted with one another. And it has been opined that North Korea needed to be dealt with militarily. That there needed to be a military solution. But then, lo and behold, the leaders, James Mattis, Mad Dog Madison, the defense secretary, he has changed his tune and says it's going to be catastrophic to attempt a military solution of this. So Defense Secretary Mattis is now espousing, I don't know what. We have sent this fleet, which actually is three aircraft carrier groups to the waters adjacent to North Korea. And as far as what that has accomplished, it has accomplished nothing other than, of course, the loss of lives of seven U.S. Navy sailors who died when an Aegis-class guided missile destroyer collided with a enormous cargo container vessel flying under the colors of the Philippines. And this was immediately offshore of Japan. And our ship was a fraction of the size of this container ship. None aboard the container ship were injured. Seven aboard the United States destroyer were killed. And because of it being Independence Day, even if you happen to hear this a week and a half hence, I'm going to go ahead and list the names of those who died. But as far as what the U.S. is doing here, it's looking just a wee bit ineffectual. 
to put it gently. The United States of America should not be seeking war, should not be seeking combat, should not be seeking conflict. But this idea that the way to deal with a nation, any nation, that is bent on jeopardizing the safety of the United States of America and its citizens. The idea that the thing to do is to engage in detente with said nation is just a reiteration of a horribly, horribly misguided failed policy from long ago. But that's what the United States of America is doing. It is biding its time while this regime in North Korea develops nuclear weapons, nuclear warheads, and intercontinental ballistic missiles with which to deliver them. And now can deliver them to the United States of America, to Alaska. And it said, it was written, it was stated that they could reach any part of Alaska based on the success of this trial balloon, if you will, this trial flight, this test of this ICBM. That's not to say that they can reach the west coast of the United States of America, yet, yet, qualify that, but can reach any part of Alaska. And if they can reach any part of Alaska, then they can reach some areas within Canada as well. So what's the thing to do? Is it just, you know, the proverbial uh, sitting on your hands or putting your head in the sand or wringing your hands, or what? The United States of America thus far has been engaging in bluffing. It's been a big game of chicken so far. Sending our fleets to the waters off of North Korea. In addition to our whopping Huge contingent there in South Korea, which is 24, 28,000, something like that. You know, as compared to uh, the forces on the other side of the DMZ of the demilitarized zone. So it's, and yes, our troops would be in concert with the South Koreans, but nonetheless, our force strength there is just, it's a drop in the bucket. But in terms of what is the way to deal with North Korea might help first and foremost to consider who is North Korea, really is North Korea. I know I've touched on this before, but I think it's important to revisit it. Previous regimes in North Korea have just been, you know, the ancestors of the current regime leader. 
There's been much ballyhoo about, oh, this one, this latest Kim, this Kim Young'un, the Young'un. He's a nut. He's a kook. He's this, he's that, he's the other thing, which implies that his ancestors were not that. (laughs) Every one of them has been a murderous destroyer. Every single last one of them has been hell-bent on annihilating Christianity, on obliterating Christianity, on viciously, ruthlessly, murderously seeking out all Christians within North Korea and slaughtering them. And even using children as young as preschool age to spy out whether there are members of their families that are Christians. Well, how do they determine that? If they have a Bible, if they have the black book, and they have to report it to their teachers, to those who are caring for them. But that has gone on for the entire history of this North Korean communist regime. It has not changed from Kim to Kim to Kim. They have all been evil, murderous destroyers, self-worshipping destroyers who have demanded that all of the people of North Korea worship them as God. That hasn't changed. Now, our previous administrations, the Bush administration, George W. Bush, and Obama's and so forth, They have treated North Korea as, you know, being a rogue regime, an independent rogue regime, which is the view of the Trump administration. But nothing could be further from the truth. North Korea going back to the Korean War, which in point of fact has never truly ended. Going back to the Korean War, the United States of America, under the auspices of the UN, it was a grand coalition made up almost entirely of U.S., you know, but a coalition. And it fought the communist forces from the northern part of Korea. And it defeated them in extremely bloody combat. It defeated them. But it had not defeated the communist Chinese forces and Soviet forces that it was faced with. And General Douglas MacArthur, for all of his vanity, all of his arrogance, all of his extreme flaws, he rightly recognized that it was critically important 
to pursue the communist forces. But the president of small stature, Harry Truman, who spoke softly and carried a big stick, as in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, he fired Douglas MacArthur. He recalled him to the United States of America. He sacked him. He fired him for insubordination, you know, Two extremely vain, arrogant men. I know we are told otherwise about Harry Truman. He was just, you know, basically the same as Jimmy Carter. Just humble pie and all of that. The buck stops here. But, in fact, in point of fact, he was <laughs> he was a vain man. There haven't been too many that have made it to the White House that haven't been very vain men. Ronald Reagan was the exception here in recent times. But he sacked him. So we have this demilitarized zone, and we have had this state of unofficial war, cold war in Korea, dating back to that. And then, not long after that, We had the Vietnam War. And again, supposedly, the United States of America was only engaged with North Vietnamese, Viet Cong forces, when in fact, bloody red communist China and the Soviet Union were directly involved. Grievously involved. It was Korean War II. And Richard Milhouse Nixon, that wonderful president, he saw fit to bring peace and honor by bringing about an extremely catastrophic retreat from Vietnam and leaving our prisoners of war behind. So many of whom suffered for lo these many years monstrously and have died there and it is a national disgrace. But what did Richard Milhouse Nixon do? He rewarded communist China by making them most favored nation, China, and by ending diplomatic relations with Taiwan. And interestingly, at that same time, Taiwan was demoted, was removed from the United Nations Security Council and most favored nation, communist, blood-red China, was promoted, was elevated and promoted to the Security Council, where it has been ever since a permanent member of the Security Council. Well, President Donald Trump, ever so recently, 
as in today, (laughs) has called for a special session of the United Nations Security Council to deal with this rogue regime, North Korea, that is behaving badly. And that Security Council is made up of all kinds of really outstanding, outstanding nation states. You know, our friends, our allies, like, oh, Putin's Russian regime and the aforementioned bloody red communist Chinese regime, currently headed up by Xi Jinping and his sidekick, and all manner of totalitarian regimes from Africa (laughs) and elsewhere. It is just, it's extraordinary. It's outstanding. They will really... Boy, they will really put North Korea's feet to the fire, as they say, won't they? I mean, they will take care of this. That will solve it, Donald. Excellent choice. That's the way to deal with North Korea. The reason that the United States of America will not now pursue a military solution is because of fear Those in leadership fear that there will be catastrophic, catastrophic, catastrophic catastrophe. There will be all manner of monstrous destruction that will follow, not only here in the United States of America. It's not all about the U.S. of A. But the fallout will be throughout South Korea. Very heavily, the capital of South Korea, Seoul, which is so close to the demilitarized zone. And one of the world's great cities. And interestingly populated by one of the largest numbers of Christians in the world on a per capita basis. But also Japan, Taiwan, Okinawa, Guam, the list goes on. I absolutely concur that there is enormous danger posed by North Korea. But the idea that that danger is decreased by waiting, by patiently waiting Kim Jong-un out, that that will then prevent catastrophe. That will prevent these catastrophic ramifications. That is dreaming. That is a pipe dream. That is just monstrously misguided. It's just like with Iran. Just give them more time. More time to develop nuclear weapons. More time to develop their guided missile systems. North Korea 
is not a rogue regime any more than it was back in the day, back in the days of the good old Korean War. Any more than North Vietnam was a rogue regime during the Vietnam War. These nations are satellite slave states of bloody red communist China and formerly the Soviet Union. So as far as the reason that there should be some concern about such catastrophic consequences... It's not really at the core, if you really, if you dig under the surface a little bit, you know, beneath the tip of the iceberg, there is the massive iceberg body, which is none other than communist red China and Putin's Russian bear (laughs) lurking there. So again, I expect that North Korea will be used to draw in the United States of America. It is a pity that the danger absolutely, truly posed by this North Korean communist regime cannot be dealt with. But time, time has already passed to a great extent. You might think, well, my gosh, why don't we go ahead and take out their missile sites? Seems halfway reasonable. But even more than that, take out the North Korean leadership that's in charge of making those decisions, issuing those orders and commands. Oh, that would just be inhumane. Uncivilized to do that. We can't do that. As is the case with, notably with Putin's Russia, many of the missile locations are one of two things, either mobile launchers or they are within mountainsides. They are underground. So it certainly becomes more difficult. But see, this is the kind of dilemma that tiny Israel has had to deal with year in, year out has had to deal with, in previous years, up to the present, with Syria, with a Syrian regime that was bent on their destruction in concert with the Egyptian regime, the Saudi Arabian regime, which we have built into the dominant air force in the Middle East. (laughs) Kudos to our presidents who have done that. But even as far away as Iraq and Iran, those regimes that are hell-bent on their destruction, even when Iran and Iraq weren't able to agree on anything else, one thing they could always agree on 
was the necessity of obliterating Israel. So too, with former Soviet Union, now Russian regime of Vladimir Putin, and the communist Chinese regimes, one thing they've always been able to agree on is the necessity of obliterating the United States of America. And the dear old United Nations is not the answer for that. Not slightly. I'm Brad Thomas. And this is After All is Said and Done. In case you missed the initial introduction. And I am to blame for whatever's wrong with this program, including uh, myriad technical issues. But I am not the one to receive credit for anything that's right about this program. That has to do with (laughs) my maker. But I mentioned before that I was going to refer to those who died, the United States sailors who were killed in the collision between the USS Fitzgerald and the Philippine container ship or container ship flying under the colors of the Philippines. Well, they are as follows. Carlos Victor Ganzon Sabayan, I apologize for mispronouncing, no doubt, from California. This young man only joined the Navy in 2013. Kyle Rigsby from Virginia. This very young man enlisted in the Navy last year. He's 19 years old. Gary Leo Rame Jr. from Ohio. 37 years of age. Xavier Alec Martin from Maryland. Another young man, 24. And his father was in the Navy before him. I am going to mishandle this name terribly. I apologize. Nock T. Trong Huyn from Connecticut. A Vietnamese name, I do believe. He's 25 years old. Noe Hernandez from Texas. Another young man of 26. And Shingo Alexander Douglas from California. 
only 25 years of age. So of those that I named, I believe only one was 30 years of age or older. I believe only Gary Leo Rame Jr. who was 37. And still a young man. I would gladly be that young. But we lost these seven. And it is altogether fitting and proper that they should be remembered not only by their families and loved ones and those who praised them as being great people, good people, that they should be remembered across this United States of America, across the breadth the length, the depth of the United States of America, that they should be honored. What a pity. What a loss. And don't misunderstand me. I do not mean to blame the president for their deaths. I certainly don't. But as tragic, as terrible as it is, the loss of these seven, that is still a tiny, tiny, tiny drop in a large body of water compared to the American loss of life that would no doubt be involved with Efforts to take down this North Korean regime. And if the North Korean regime truly was what George W. Bush insisted that it was, and what it has been recognized as being, and what this administration views it as being, just being an independent, rogue regime. If that's all that it is, and if it were possible to neutralize it without gravely endangering the population of South Korea and those in other parts of the world, as well as those within North Korea that are not evil destroyers of the good, then I would recommend it heartily. But, again, it's been long delayed long delayed, and with every passing day and week and month and season of delay, it has become more and more tenuous a proposition, regrettably.
But North Korea is not just an independent rogue regime. Part of that axis of evil that George W. Bush immortalized. No. It is a satellite state of communist China and the former Soviet Union, which has been replaced by Vladimir Putin's regime. It is not an independent, limited regime, nation. No. Not just this independent slave state that enslaves its people and destroys its people with a vengeance. No. That's the way it works in the big, wide, wonderful world of communism is they are intertwined and interlocked. As has been true with Cuba and these others. And North Korea is being used, being utilized, being employed to further the agenda of those who are truly in charge and who, interestingly enough, are permanent members of the United Nations Security Council, to whom we now flee for the help, the assistance of. Lots of luck with that, Mr. President. Lots of luck. Meanwhile, of course, just a short time ago, Another young man, Otto Warmbler, 22 years of age, died. Now, at the time that he was brought back to the United States of America, that his release from North Korea was obtained, there was much ballyhoo about... This was the result of great negotiation by the president. Yeah. Personally, my immediate thought was North Korea is kicking him out so that he dies in our hands, so that he doesn't die while he's in North Korea. Now, perhaps I just you know, totally misunderstand, totally misconstrue, totally misperceive the reality there. But that's what I think took place. I think the North Koreans knew he is almost dead. He is just about gone. Let's get rid of him. Let's wash our hands of him. Let's send him home now. Let him die back in the U.S. of A. I really think that's exactly, precisely what took place. But that's my opinion, my perspective. 
there was much said that if we had had a different president in place, when Otto Warmbler was arrested and was tried in this kangaroo show trial and was evilly dealt with immediately prior to the trial, but then especially afterwards, that, that we could have gotten him home. And maybe so. <laughs> we had a monstrously horrible administration, dare I say, regime here for eight years with Barack Hussein Obama and our own Uncle Joe. But I don't know. I don't know what the Donald would have done that would have protected and secured the release of Otto Warmbler. I don't know. I don't know that he would have been able to accomplish that. However, given that Otto was immediately really evilly dealt with subsequent to that show trial, in which they coerced him into confessing, I think they would have been willing to release him probably because they had already managed to cause him to become comatose. So I think it is possible we could have perhaps gotten him back at that time and perhaps would have been able to save his life. But that's not to say that considerable evil, considerable deadly damage had already been done. Now, the uh, photograph that I saw of Otto Warmbler being marched out by a couple North Korean military men, a couple of their finest, no doubt, hand-picked, I was struck by the fact that a photograph that I saw of another American, Kim Dong-chul, that he was in between exactly the same two North Korean soldiers. And, you know, maybe that's just their regular duty, but I did think it was ironic that exactly the same two soldiers were pictured uh, strong-arming him. There are three United States of America's citizens that are detained, as it were, in North Korea that I'm aware of, and they are all, as far as I can see, of Korean descent, and they're all extremely intelligent, highly educated, gifted men. And they are Kim Dong-chul, 
Kim Sang-duk and Kim Hak-sung. And Kim Sang-duk and Kim Hak-sung both have been teaching at the Pyongyang University of Science and Technology. You know, helping the North Korean regime, but not in order to help the regime, but to help the people of North Korea. That is what they've been engaged in. And yet, wonderful North Korean communist regime has seen fit to arrest them, brutalize them, imprison them. Remarkable. And then there is Kim Dong-chul, whom I first referred to. And something that you'll find with, find with these men is that they're Christians, no doubt. Uh, my information on them is limited, but regarding Kim Dong-chul, He told the churches that he was a missionary working on North Korea and that he was sending things from China into North Korea to help the North Korean people. And this was verified uh, by a woman who is a North Korean defector, one who has fled North Korea. And she said that she had met him and he was a Christian missionary. These other men teaching at this University of Science and Technology in the North Korean capital. Rest assured, they are (laughs) really there for the same reason. Kim Hak-sung was a naturalized United States citizen. Kim Sang-dok, a professor of accounting at that university, whereas Hak-sung was working on agricultural development again. All of these men were there to help, to help the North Korean people. Kim Hak-sung, based on what I've read, was also a pastor of an evangelical church here in the United States of America. And it just stands to reason What would motivate someone to go into this incredibly dark, 
extremely hostile, dangerous place to risk their lives, to risk never seeing their family and loved ones again. What is it that would be so powerful to motivate them? Now, there are those who naively, ignorantly, stupidly have on occasion gone there, journalists looking for a story, hoping to get (laughs) whatever, some kind of notoriety or what have you, and have ended up being arrested and incarcerated, imprisoned. But these people, these men, brilliant men, devoted Christians, what they were motivated by was to help the North Korean people in every way that they could, in any way that they could, to help the North Korean people who are enslaved under this evil, evil regime. Which again is a satellite regime of other evil regimes. And they risked their lives. They endangered their lives and they are being held under the worst of circumstances. And while I, again, believe that Otto Warmbler was released expressly so he would not die in North Korea, so he would not die in the custody of the North Korean regime, I don't think it was any great negotiation done by the Trump administration. But if the Trump administration are such wonderful negotiators, as undoubtedly they are with the great king of the deal there in charge, then let's see the evidence of that with the release of these three Korean Americans, these three United States citizens who were there on missions of mercy to the North Korean people, Kim Dong-chul, Kim Sang-duk, and Kim Hak-sung. And if this administration succeeds attempts and succeeds in bringing these three men home alive and well. Uh, Yeah, rest assured they're not alive and well at the moment, but alive. If this administration succeeds in bringing them home alive and they recover and they are restored, well, then I will be perhaps somewhat impressed with the negotiations of the Trump administration. But as far as fleeing to the United Nations Security Council for help, 
to pressure North Korea into behaving, into becoming a responsible world citizen. That is just profoundly, breathtakingly absurd and bizarre. And if that's an example of the thinking of the leadership in this administration, then that's a bit troubling, but hardly surprising. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Thank you. 